just can't do. And it's focused on spiritual disciplines. And let me explain the principle. And I'm going to put a couple things up on the screen, a couple things in your note sheet. And they're, they're sort of big concepts, but they make a lot of sense. This is, to me, one of the best definitions of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are what you can do by direct effort in order to do what you can't do by direct effort alone. And so I'm going to flesh that out and explain that, but I said it in a few different words to help with that. So here's another way of saying it. There are many things in your life that you cannot just do, but they can be done over time by doing daily things that you can just do. This is true for every human being on the planet in their spiritual life, in their emotional life, in their physical life. So, so lay the, the spiritual aside for a second and think about how this works physically. Look at this picture right here. All right. So I took this selfie a couple of weeks ago, okay? <laughs> so, so how did this guy get like this? And everybody's like, the first thing you're going to yell is steroids. That's fine. It's, that's probably part of it, I'm sure. So the point is, he didn't go, wow, I look like Dave, and so I, I want to be muscular, so I'm just going to you know, generate with my effort muscles, and then they just appear. That's not how it works. You can't just do that. You can't just physically change by just trying. You have to instead do what you can do, which is daily work out, daily change your diet, daily take horse steroids. <laughs> And then, over time, you are able to do what you can't just do. That's the same with the things of the spirit and of the mind. Okay, you can't just not be an angry person. You struggle with anger, so your prayer is, God, help me not be angry. I'm just going to try harder. That's a failing strategy. What you can do, though, are things you can do daily. Connect with the spirit. You can do disciplines. Connect with the Holy Spirit in prayer and scripture reading and other types of disciplines. And so over time, you're able to do what you can't just do. You're able to do by direct effort what you can't do by just direct effort alone. You can't just be filled with compassion for others. Ah, you need to love people more. We all do. You can't just fill your heart with it. But what you can do is connect to the Spirit. The Spirit will come in daily. You connect with God daily in prayer and scripture. And he changes you over time. And you become a different person. If you struggle with anxiety or depression... I counsel a lot of people that struggle with it. You can't just feel different because that's what people think. Well, you should just feel different. That's not true. That's not how it works. Your mind has been altered. You're, you, you, you can't just will yourself out of it. But what you can do is do different things daily, spiritually, mentally, physically, that will change your mind and reform you. And you'll be able to do what you can't just do. This is true for every human being. And, and this is really important to hear. The greatest changes you will make in your life, the greatest accomplishments you will make, will not be done by just doing them. They will be done by just doing some key daily things that over time will accomplish what you can't just do. So, so far, we, we've only talked about, you know, at this series, the discipline of prayer. We're going to talk about scripture intake later, some other disciplines. 
things you can do daily to achieve what you can't just do. Today, though, it's something a little different. It's different than all the other disciplines, but it is essential. But the difference is this one you're not entirely in control of, but you are in control of it to a degree. And so that's kind of the paradox here. And here's the deal, though. This is the thing, this discipline I'm going to talk about is the difference maker. It's the X factor in life change. In fact, uh, scientifically proven sociological studies and research has proven this. This thing, when it is present, increases the percentage that you will accomplish certain things exponentially, so much so that if you don't have it, man, you're likely to fail. And what is that, that thing, just I don't, you know, put you in suspense, it is encouragement from others. That's the X factor. The effect of encouragement on any arena of life is the secret spiritual, you know, life performance enhancing drug. I mean, it is the thing everybody needs in order to make changes in their life. And without it, change doesn't normally happen. It's the ingredient. In critical times, when I and look at this, this is true for my life. When, when I have changed, I've gone through a major life change or something, you know, where, where God has taken me in some way, mind, body, spirit, to a different place, this has been present. And, and if I were to ask you all to think of a time when that has been true for you, where encouragement has been the difference maker, everyone in the room with, with a little bit uh, of, you know, just a little bit of pause and consideration could think of something. So let me give you an example of kind of how this works, just in my own personal life. Again, this is a physical one. This isn't this isn't like one of the most important ones, this is, but it's still a great illustration of how this happens. Okay, so one time when I was in the worst physical shape of my life, okay, was after we had three kids, and you're like, well, you didn't have the babies, I know, but I, but I was helping take care of the babies, and life was really busy and all that kind of stuff, and, and um, I just was, I was physically, I had a lower energy level, um, you know, there's just an exhaustion level, wasn't doing hardly any physical exercise, was taking shortcuts on food, eating terrible food, and all that kind of stuff. Um, worst shape of my life. And a friend of mine said, hey, man, um, here's what you need to do. Um, you, you know, you, you, need to, you need to do something different. You need to run a marathon. Um, and, 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 um, and, and the reason was because, man, that's a, that's a goal. You can get your arms around that. that that'll change you. And, all, and I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So, um, so from this person's kind of encouragement, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Um, by the way, I skipped some fill-in-the-blanks. I'll, I'll come back to them. Um, but um, so, so what happened was um, I said, okay, so I started training, and he, he was going to train with me. Um, from my house to the end of my neighborhood, because I bought a, a little GPS watch for this on e eBay. It wasn't expensive, and, and it was six-tenths of a mile from my house to the edge of the neighborhood. So I started my training. But the problem was when I started Running from my house to the edge of the neighborhood, I mean, you got to go farther than six-tenths of a mile because the marathon's 26.2 miles, but only six-tenths of a mile. I had to stop and rest three times just to make it six-tenths of a mile, okay? There's a lot of reasons for that. One, obviously, I was super out of shape. Two, because I always hated running um, because, uh, because to me, it never made sense, right? Um, I, I played sports. Um, and when you play sports, there's, you have a goal. You have a ball, and you have to get the ball somewhere or something, or someone's chasing you, and you need to run from them, or they're going to catch you and tackle you. There's motivation. Uh, just running, there's no motivation. So I would start running and go, this doesn't make any sense, you know. And so it was, it was always hard for me. But kind of stuck with it. 
even though I had to stop three times to get six cents per mile, and um, kept going, and my friend would text me, how you doing, how you doing, here's what you got to do, and give me, uh, you know, kind of exercises to do, and just kind of en encourage me. So what happened was I, I, I got up to like two miles where I could run without stopping, and it was really good, and I was doing that every day, but then my knees broke down. What I mean is um, I, didn't, I didn't know that I was wearing, not only was I wearing the wrong shoes, but my feet, you know, my arches are kind of bad, and, and it was affected my knees, and I actually couldn't hardly walk for about six weeks. I had to go to the doctor. They had to get me orthotics. I had to let my knees recover. By not running for two or for six weeks, I was all the way back to the beginning. I was like, that's it. You know, nice try. Not going to do it. Um, my friend's like, no, dude. Here, there's a 5K in your neighborhood in a month. We're going to do it, and here's what you do, and we're going to run together. And, and instead of giving up, um, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And when I showed up for the 5K, uh, this dude was fast, but he stayed with me the whole time and ran with me and made sure I finished. And so, I mean, it was just pouring outside hope and renewal into me, which is what encouragement is. So um, I did that, but then <clears throat> I got up to, back to running three miles, because 5K, uh, without stopping. That's the most, most I could do. Then I got to five miles, which is a major accomplishment for me, of running without stopping. But then I got a really bad sinus infection, and uh, it didn't go away, and I had to stop running. It was really bad. I was sick for like a month. I went to the doctor, and he's like, we have to drill out your septum. They actually had to, you know, I don't know, you know drill my sinuses out, put these plugs in my nose for <laughs> two weeks so I could heal. And that took me out for another six weeks, and I went all the way back to the beginning. I was like, that's it. Okay, I'm done. And, and I'm not going to do it anymore because um, I lost all that progress I made. And my friend calls like, no, dude, uh, here's what we're going to do. Um, you're, we're going to do a marathon before that in, in two months, and, and I'm going to help you train. And, we're, and he talked me into uh, to keep going, so I kept going. And I, and I did it, and I showed up for the marathon, scared to, or not the marathon, half marathon. I showed up at the half marathon and, um, and um, did it, and, you know, just this euphoric feeling, couldn't believe it. Um, and the marathon was coming up in another two months, and so I was like, I don't know if I can do it. He's like, yeah, you can. Here's all you got to do. You gotta. And so um, he kept, you know, kept me uh, training. I show up for the marathon, and it was early in the morning, and there's 20,000 people, which is great because I didn't want anyone to see me because, um, you know, I was like, can I even do this? And I'm going to be super slow. And so I hid. I had all black on, and I was hiding, and four late church people, downtown people found me, okay, that were running. My friend, he was in a way faster group, but all of these four people were also way faster, and I told them to go away. I was like, I don't want you guys around. I was like straight up. I was like, guys, I know you're trying to be nice. Just go away. Um, I want to do this. You know, I, I'm, I'm already kind of nervous. Please go away. And they're like, no, dude, it's okay. We're just going to stick with you. We just want to do this with you. It's important to us. We just want to do it with us. I said, okay. And then they ran with me, and they, they kind of stayed with me the whole time. Two of them weren't going to run the full marathon. They were only signed up to run the half marathon. And when we got to the point where, um, where the half marathon people veer off um, and finish, like just half a mile away, and the marathon people continue, all four people stayed with me the entire time and decided to keep going so that I would finish. And so I do this thing, and I'm telling you, I'm, gonna, I'm about to die, you know, obviously. And, and they just, every time I slow down, they slow down. And every time I baby step, they baby step, and they stay with me the whole time. Um, and I finished, and here's a photo of me, like, crying at the end. That's my, my wife. I mean, I'm just, like, crying. I was like, I can't believe it, you know, da, da, da. And then here's three of the people 
Um, two of them are, uh, one guy's from another church. The first two, there's Jason, who we just sent off to Honduras as a missionary. There's Stephanie, and there was another person. Um, no way could I have done it without outside fuel coming in. Outside fuel coming in. And that's what, that is what encouragement is. Um, there's a book called, by Dr. Henry Cloud called The Power of the Other, and he explains what's going on with encouragement. So you're getting outside fuel. He says you're going to need something from the outside of yourself to get where you want to go. Outside of yourself. It's not all up to you. When your car is out of gas, for example, you have to visit a gas station. You can't just talk yourself into having more fuel. Hope is like that. Giving up is like that. It's not all up to you. You need something from the outside. Human performance requires fuel from relationship. That is what encouragement is. It is outside fuel that every human being needs in order to do what they cannot personally just do. That is what encouragement is. And when there's been something, when I look at my life and I look at, you know, th how things have changed, whether it's in my spirit, I've become a different person, some kind of besetting issue in my life that didn't change and, and, and ended up changing or something, whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional. Encouragement has been a critical part of it. The outside fuel that other people have brought into my life. This is how God has designed the human being to function. Only with these key things. That is why every person who's a believer in Christ, and listen to this, okay, this is the will of God for your life. This is a thus saith the Lord thing from the Bible. If you are a believer, God has called you to the ministry of encouragement because encouragement changes the course of people's lives. You are called to that ministry. The Bible talks about this in many ways. 109 different times the form, the, the word encouragement, a different form of it is used in the Bible. I want to speak directly from one verse, okay, of the many we can do. I, this is just a personally convicting verse, so that's why I want to use it. It's Hebrews chapter 10. Here's how it starts. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, the Bible tells us to hold on unswervingly because we all have swerving issues, right? So, so uh, when, when I read this, the, the first thing I thought of, and I, this is like a perfect illustration for how how the Holy Spirit functions in our lives alongside with our sinful nature. I thought of my car, um, the first car I ever owned, which was a Chevy Chevette, um, which is really sad because it's not cool, and you want to be cool when you're younger. And my car, and just look it up on the Internet, Chevy Chevette, it's not a Corvette, it's a Chevette. It's not cool, okay? So here's the problem with my Chevette. Oh, well, one of the problems with my Chevette. It, it had an alignment problem, okay, that I could never quite get fixed uh, you know, just didn't spend the money on it, plus just somehow it was just a credit card. Just, so so um, it pulled to the right, okay? So for, for it to go straight, you had to have always be turning it to the left. Anybody had a car like that ever? Okay, a few people, right? So, um, and it only lasted a little while, like five years, okay? So, so this car always pulled to the right. So I always had to be putting pressure on the steering wheel to the left. You, you, you know, you're always kind of like, you know, you're, you can't just let go because it would just go off the road. You just had to always have, hold it like this. So this is, this is how 
okay? This helps understand, uh, explain the paradox of human nature. The Holy Spirit in your life, you are forgiven forever, but you also have the flesh until you die. Theologians call this paradox the now and not yet kingdom of Jesus, okay? There's two things that this, this, this uh, phrase answers. One, why, if Jesus died on the cross and he's resurrected, and now he's the Lord, like the Bible says, why is the world sort of going to hell in a way? I mean, look at, look at all of the, all the wars and all the, the horribleness in the world. If Jesus really is Lord, why is all this still happening? Because he is on the throne, but, but human history is allowed to play out. People are allowed to make choices until one day Jesus comes back, and then it's all different after that. And the human body and spirit is the same way. When you put your faith in Christ, okay, you are forgiven forever by putting your trust in what Jesus did for you. It's not about your performance and how great you perfectly follow the law or God's words. You're called to follow Jesus, but you're saved by putting your trust not in your own performance, but on what Jesus did, on his performance. He died on the cross, paid for your sins. So you have the Holy Spirit at that time, but you find yourself not perfect after that. And that's the paradox. Why do I still have a predisposition to rebel sometimes? And why do I still struggle with temptation if I have the Holy Spirit in my life? Because you're saved forever, but you still have this body of flesh until you die. And then one day you're recreated. That's the now and not yet kingdom. So we all have swerving issues. We struggle until we die. We struggle we struggle with holiness. We're called to be holy. We struggle with holiness. We struggle with being on mission. We're called to be on mission. We struggle with those things. We need help. We need to hold on unswervingly. So we follow God's will. How do we do that? And then the text answers that. And it says this. And so, let's hold on unswervingly and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So let's break this down. Let's, let's dig into this text, break down exactly what this is saying to us. First it says, let us, and look at those first, you know, those third and fourth words. Let us consider how, fourth and fifth words, we may spur one another on. The point that that is making, let us consider how, is that we need to strategize how we're going to encourage people. The verb translated consider how is kata naeo, okay? I'm going to give out a couple of the Greek words here. It means to concentrate, fix your thinking. The point is, everyone in the room knows how to strategize, how to put thought into problem solving. You do that in different arenas of your life. You do that in your job. Some of you are geniuses at that in your job. And, and, and that's why they pay you to do what you do, because you know how to problem solve. You know how to strategize in your area. And God is saying, okay, you have that ability. I want you to use that ability in this area of your life, in the ministry of encouragement. I don't want you to just do this accidentally. I want you to strategize how. Consider how to do this. People who change the course of people's lives through encouragement don't just leave it up to chance. Oh, I'll just do it when it comes around. No, they don't do it accidentally. They do it on purpose. I, I, I have a friend in my life 
who is a genius at this. He has a ministry where he helps people get out of crisis homelessness in Seattle. I've known him, you know, for, um, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. He was my college basketball coach, too. I've known him forever, and I always go see him when I go home because he just inspires me. But honestly, he has affected way more people in his personal ministry of encouragement than he has in his professional ministry of helping people out of crisis homelessness, even though his crisis homeless ministry is crazy amazing. He, when he goes into a room or goes to a place, he's always thinking of this. All right, how am I going to, you know, so-and-so is in here. How am I going to affect? And he just does stuff. God gives him stuff because he's thinking about it. Let us consider how. Let's strategize. So just pause for a moment and think of how simple this question is, okay? God, who do you want me to spur on and how? Think of how simple that is. What if that was posted somewhere visible for you? Like, you know, your car, your mirror, anywhere. And so, and so before your day, something you might not, because this is key for me, I'll, and I'll tell you how I do this, because I'm not naturally good at this. I'm not one of those naturally <laughs> loving, encouraging people. I'm just not. So I have to really do this on purpose. So, so I just, it's on my calendar. I, I have a weekly thing at a certain time of day where, and it's like family members has their names listed weekly where I contact family. And then I have a monthly thing, and every month it's on my, and it has this list of people that I feel like God has called me to the ministry of encouragement. Okay, it's a fact. It's on my calendar, on my phone, on my computer because I need to strategize and I need to pause and think about it. And then God gives me things. And he tells me how. And, he, and it can be stuff you do. It, it can be words written, spoken. So, so think about that. Pause for a second. Who and how in your life, in your immediate family? Think about that. How about your extended family? Or your friends? Or your, your geographical connections, you know, work and around your house? Who needs that outside energy, renewal, redirection, and how. And, and you know, this, guys, this is so strange in a way because it's so profoundly important that it changes the course of people's lives and yet it costs so little to do. There are very few things like encouragement that do so much yet costs so little. There's a lot of things God calls, I mean, sacrifice in different ways for the poor or for other things. And it requires a sacrifice, heavy cost, high impact. This is high impact, low cost. I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing to have the ministry of encouragement and embrace it. And it lasts so long sometimes. My, my kids, I have three daughters, and, you know, I, um, my, my wife's a words of encouragement person, and, you know, my, my kids are in part. And four years ago, I wrote them each this note. It's not the only time I've written them a note, so don't think I'm a bad dad, okay? It's not like I wrote my kids a note one time. So they're 14, 13, and 13. They're all girls. Four years ago, I wrote them each a note. This is where I love you, and this is, you know, what you're like. You're this, this, just, just encouragement. And, and 
And, you know, still, if you go to our house, four years ago I wrote that, each of those notes is pinned by that daughter by their bed four years ago. Such a high impact, costs so little. Let us consider how. Okay, let's strategize how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. When you encourage someone, see that word spur one another on? That word spur on. When you encourage someone, you're usually helping create an encourager. That word is translated, and it means to provoke, irritate, or incite. It is, it is always used in a violent context. So in Acts chapter 15, it says they sharply disagreed. That's the word. Perox, I don't even know how to say it, paroxysmos. That's the word, same word. Why would God use this violent word in this text? Because of the way violence works. When you hear the word, you know, provoke to anger, irritate, or incite, you think incite a riot. What happens? One guy incites these other people and gets them to be violent, and they get other people to be violent. And God is saying, not be violent, but he's saying that same cause and effect, ripple effect principle. That's what happens with encouraging and provoking other to love and good deeds. You can do the opposite. You can create someone who's going to be an encourager by encouraging them. There's a ripple effect. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. This is, this is kind of a famous verse, um, and its message is really important today. I'm only going to say one thing about it, though, uh, even though there's so much to say about it. But I just want to mention this, this critical thing, and here it is. It's this principle. It's really hard to affect people's lives if you're not in other people's lives, right? So, and that includes your own life. So you need to get near people for their sake. But you need people near you for your sake. Because ultimately, I'm teaching this. I know I'm teaching, like, do this and do this. Ultimately, my, my first takeaway here in this text is not to tell you to go encourage people. My, my first takeaway is for everyone in the room to understand, for you to change, you have to have this in your life. So there's two applications here. The first step of compassion, this first application, is usually get near someone. So as a pastor, I do a lot of visitation. I visit people in the hospital, in prisons, all that kind of stuff, right? Pastoral visitation. But my main job as a pastor in pastoring people, okay, is not for me to pastor people. That's not God's call to me. God's call to, I would, I would be a failure as a pastor if that was the number one thing in pastoring that I believed I was called to. Because the Bible explicitly says pastors are called to equip the body. So my number one job as a pastor is not for me to do it, it's to help equip people to do it, to help them walk in their ministry and learn how to pastor and learn how to visit people in the hospital and prisons and things like that. Now, when we do that, because people are afraid to do it, they don't, and, and that's okay, 
but a lot of the fear is taken away by explaining them this really, really important truth. 75, 80% and even higher of what you need to do to do a successful visitation, let's say at, at the hospital, to encourage someone or to pastor someone at the hospital. Do you know what, you know what 80% of, of what you need to do is? Here, here's what it is. You need to go to the hospital and go into the person's room. Now you've done 80% of the most important part. What do you say? What do you do? Well, that's 20%. And, you know, that's, I can give you tips on that. And that's pretty kind of, you just kind of feel that out. Presence is 80% of what you need to do. Presence, being physically present. That's the first, if you want to you help make a difference in the lives of the poor, 80% of what you need to do is not just be in your own circles, but get near people. Okay? You want to get. You want to make a difference in racial reconciliation. Eighty percent. What you need to do is get near people. You want to make a difference in the lives of kids and in ministry. You need to get near people. So you know, serve, children's ministry, youth ministry, whatever. Get near people. God takes you the rest of the way. God teaches you after you get near. And the second application is about us. At all costs, you personally pray for and take actions that bring godly people into your daily life. This is a prayer that God will answer for you. There was a point in my life several years ago where I had neglected this, okay? And I didn't realize it, and it incrementally got, this got to a point where it was bad, where, where I had let busyness kind of bump out these critical relationships in my life. And, and what happened was, when I was trying to kind of get healthy, um, I realized from everything I was reading and everything God was saying, but even books like were telling me, like, you have to have these, these godly, intimate connections. You have to be able to confess sin, and they confess to you, and you have to have this life-giving relationships. And honestly, I didn't have them. And I was like, God, I just don't have them. So I just, I, what, I just don't, so I just can't do this one. No, that's, that's not true, and that's the lie. And that's what people do at various points in your life. And most people in the room, at some point in your life, you might have done that. You might have said, I just don't have those kind of relationships. And God says you don't have because you don't ask. This is a prayer that God will answer. God will answer this prayer. You need to ask God to bring those kind of people in your life. And he will answer that. He'll lead you to some kind of action. Supernaturally, he might help you cross paths with somebody maybe put something on someone else's heart, might lead you to a group or something. We need godly, life-giving relationships for our own sake, for life change to happen. So it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, and then it ends with the whole point that the whole message has been directing us towards. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That, that is a, that's a really interesting, beautiful word in Scripture. And one of the reasons is because there's no perfect English equivalent to that word encourage. We translate it in different ways. The form of that word in the Greek is used 109 times. It's the word, and it might be familiar to you if you've heard 
different uh, teachings on not this, but on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because the word is the word parakaleo, which literally means to come close beside somebody. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples, he's about to die on the cross and be resurrected, he tells them in John 14, I'm going to ask the Father. He's like, don't be sad. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another, and it says counselor, but it's the same word as encourage, a parakletos. Scholars call the Holy Spirit the paraclete because Jesus calls him that. It's like, it's like his name. It's like Jesus says, I'm going to give you another parakletos to be with you forever, another encourager, another counselor. God knows you and I need that outside energy. Outside of ourselves. We need to pray daily, be in the word daily, for change to happen, for things to be transformed in our life. You're not going to get it by just showing up on Sunday, right? I mean, the good things are going to happen, but, but, the, but the, the big life change in your spirit, in your mind, and even in your physical life, you know, there's daily things you need to do to accomplish what you just can't do. But there's one thing that's not entirely up to you, but it is kind of up to you, because you need to seek the Lord, and he will give you this thing he's promised. And that is encouragement. And so he has done that in two ways. He's given you the Holy Spirit, the encourager to be with you when you put your faith in Christ. And he's given you the encouragement of godly people if you seek for it and ask for it. Encouragement changes the course of people's lives. So go and embrace the ministry of encouragement. And it'll change the course of your life. So seek the Lord's, seek the Lord's gift to you of those godly people. Seek it. And that's how I want to end. I want to pray for us right now about that. Let's pray together.